The restaurant industry is booming right now, but how long will it last? Hello, this is Jonathan Mays, Editor-in-Chief of Restaurant Business, and in this week's episode of A Deeper Dive, I am joined by my colleagues, Editor-at-Large Peter Romeo and Senior Editor Heather Lally to talk about restaurant sales so far in 2021, which are very good. Peter covers casual dining for restaurant business, and Heather writes about fast casuals. I cover fast food, and together we look at what has been a series of very strong sales reports. We discuss what chains are seeing, where these sales are coming from, and how long this sales strength is expected to last. We also talk about the impact of delivery and takeout on sales and what will happen with that as the industry normalizes. Please have a listen. Okay, I am here with Peter Romeo and Heather Lally. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jonathan. Um, so, Peter, we're going to start with you. Uh, looking at uh, restaurant same-store sales over the past week, uh, plus um, from, from early earnings reports, uh, have suggested a rather ridiculous rebound uh, in sales that go well beyond just recovering um, from, from uh, last year's decline. Uh, what are you seeing on the casual dining front? So far. Uh, across the board, uh, those public companies that have already reported, if you look at their numbers April to date, or what were April to date at the time that they reported, all of them showed just astonishingly positive uh, comps, um, uh, probably from a low of about 8% uh, for North Italia, Cheesecake Factory's secondary concept, on up to the high teens for concepts that had been kind of lagging behind the recovery. Uh, I'm thinking in particular of uh, Fleming's, um, a high-end concept, very dependent on uh, expense account business and uh, special occasions. Uh, they were up, I believe, 16.8%. Uh, so April is proving to be just a boom time, time for, um, for casual restaurants of all stripes, particularly the polished casual folks. Mm-hmm. Um, cheesecake kind of in April there, uh, they, they kind of had a little bit of a, uh, there, uh, what was their number for April? Well, April to, uh, to 2020, it it was merely 220% increase. Um, so, you know, obviously with that, they caught a little bit of the downturn last year, but still those are some really good numbers. Um, and uh, I don't have the April figures here handy, but, um, you know, looking at the, comparing uh, April, 2021 with April, um, uh, 2019, it was a really, really healthy increase. So um, there's no doubt about it that this is a, a very real uh, rebound. Um, uh, what's helping it is apparently check averages have really increased, which suggests that there's a celebratory, celebratory aspect to this whole thing where people are eager to get out, spend some time in the restaurants, have a full meal, have a few drinks, have a dessert. Uh, so those checks are really nice. Now, traffic might be lagging a little behind, but not so negligibly that um, you can't say that, uh, that people are coming back, that dining out is back full force. Um, uh, clearly the, the gains are coming on the dine-in side, 
but at the same time, uh, most of the chains are saying that they're seeing no uh, erosion of their off-premise sales. If not seeing a little bit of a bump uh, in off-premise sales. So it, it, it's the ideal situation of um, the pie getting larger. Mm -hmm. Heather, what are you seeing at, um, at uh, uh, fast, the fast casual sector so far? Yeah, I think the real interesting thing from the fast casual uh, segment is that, you know, all of this traffic shifted to digital business um, during the pandemic, but a lot of them are reporting that that uh, digital business is sticky, even as their dining rooms reopen. So they're seeing, you know, solid traffic in their reopened dining rooms, and people are still finding occasions to order for takeout and delivery. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, uh, Chipotle's um, I mean, yeah, I mean, Chipotle has been you know, sort of gaining momentum for, for a long time. To me, the surprising one was Noodles. Yeah, Noodles surprised me too. They just reported uh, earnings last week and they said they are seeing record, record average unit volumes uh, for, uh, for April, um, uh, which is pretty big for them. And, the, and they also said that they are seeing a similar a uh, similar situation where people are still finding these digital occasions, but they're still coming in to the dining rooms. Um, for April, they said that their AUVs were up 13% over the same period in 2019. So I think that's giving them a little bit of momentum as they look to restart franchising and, uh, and grow their unit count. How much of their sales do you think uh, for noodles and Chipotle actually, because they both had some pretty public price increases on third-party delivery. Do we have a sense at all for those two chains, how much their sales came from that high, you know, those those higher delivery prices? Uh, they, uh, for Chipotle, you know, the delivery has really eaten into their margins. Um, and so they are, they have boosted their delivery prices by 17% in recent months, which is is pretty huge. They say they're not seeing much resistance to that among consumers. Um, but I am not entirely sure um, uh, of the breakdown. I don't know if they publicly stated the breakdown in their same store sales growth uh, versus menu, you know, with menu price increases factored in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's to me, one of the bigger questions, and this is actually very true, certainly for the quick service business, which I'll get into in a second. But I tend to think that that there is a certain amount of this, especially when we're looking at comparisons to 2019, where you have, um, you know, limited service restaurants. This is less true, actually, for the restaurants that Peter covers. Um, but limited service restaurants, remember, have, have raised their prices six and a half percent over the past year. So if we're looking at, uh, you know, and then you probably got to add, I don't have their price increases from 2019 to 2020, but if we just assume 3%, so you're still looking at like 9%, <laughs> you're still looking at 9% average prices over 2019. So a fair chunk of the sales increase that we're seeing is simply because of menu price rather than, you know, people actually ordering more items or more food or more premium items and that sort of thing, that there is a certain, to a certain degree, some of this is masked a little bit by that, by those higher prices. I mean, I yeah. think you've seen you also report Wingstop, Heather, and they're 
sales. Sure. And I, I was just going to say, I think the big question will be once the pandemic, you know, is more fully normalized and we're kind of fully out on the other side is whether consumers take a look at these prices, uh, you know, to have the convenience of delivery or whether they should just go into the store and, and get their food. And we might see some, you know, slowing in, in the digital sales and in the delivery market just because of those numbers. But yes, Wingstop, uh, to your point, has somehow amazingly surpassed last April's uh, 33% same-store sales growth. Right. Uh, they reported that they were were positive uh, for this April. So Wings, man, just keep going and going. Yeah. Um, and if we look on the fast food, if we look at the fast food front, and so what we're probably seeing, I think, to yours and Peter's point is we're just seeing and is is that this 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 the overall demand is just skyrocketed. So McDonald's two year same store sales up thirteen point seven percent. You have double digit uh, two year numbers for um, KFC and for Taco Bell. Um, if you look at um, uh, if, if you look at uh, the pizza chains, uh, the ones that have reported Domino's, their, their sales have been strong. Uh, Popeye's, uh, same store sales last uh, first quarter were up close to 30%. They basically held serve in the first three months of the year. So their sales are still going, you know, you know, they're still, they're, they're still going fairly strong. Um, you know, I mean, you have some lesser numbers for like Burger King, um, and, um, you know, but like Starbucks has, has fully recovered. So you really have kind of a, the picture, I guess, that we're painting the three of us is really this picture of a pretty broad increase in sales in the first quarter um, and, and some sort of an acceleration into April, um, uh, especially for casual dining. Um, uh, how long, uh, Peter, do you think that this boom that we're seeing is going to last. Do you think it's going to? Is this a a temporary phenomenon? It's is it. Do you think this is going to uh, last long term? What's going on? I think it's going to last longer than we might anticipate. You know, clearly um, the uh, stimulus dollars, uh, the checks uh, mailed to people, the sweetened unemployment benefits. Clearly, that's that's fuel. Uh, that's fueling this. But um, there are other factors that come into play. One of the things that uh, has been accentuated by some of the uh, third party observers, folks like Malcolm Knapp, is that uh, a lot of the casual dining chains, they use the occasion of the pandemic to simplify their menus, and in many instances, improve the quality of the food. And when you think about the problems that casual dining had Going back three, four years, one of the problems was that the same the food was just so so homogenous. It was just so similar to what everyone uh, offered, and it was slipping in quality. Clearly, slipping in quality um, uh, as operators try to preserve their margins. They've addressed that. They they have improved the caliber of the food. They've made adjustments in portioning that seem to be really popular. Um, that certainly was a key factor with Outback. So you've got that kind of uh, permanent change for the better. Uh, the other thing is that a lot of operators have reported that family meals have really gotten traction, that that is not going away, that the convenience of that is much appreciated by the, the um 
uh, consumer and very much appreciated by the operator because the delivery mechanism for that is often, uh, is usually curbside. So you don't have that commission. So there's that aspect coming into play. Then there's drinks to go, which looks like most states are gonna hold on to. So you've got some permanent shifts. And then shorter term, we're moving into a key period for casual dining. We have Mother's Day next week. We know that that's a huge lift for casual dining. And then we move into dads and grads. And with the way things are looking, um, with vaccinations and some restrictions being eased, that might stick with the industry for a while, That that or stick with that segment for a while. So I think we're going to see this at least into uh, early summer, uh, and uh, we might be surprised even by that. Now, I think that this is, this is going to be with us certainly months rather than days or weeks. Man, I can't believe you use the phrase dads and grads. Oh, gosh, might have to edit that out. <laughs> But I mean, I guess I, I tend to agree to a certain extent, at least in terms of, I mean, I tend to think that casual, if I'm, if I'm a betting person, I bet on a, a really nice uh, run of sales for casual dining, not at the level that we're seeing right now, necessarily uh, for mm-hmm. long, you know, cause eventually, I mean, people run out of stimulus dollars, but I also get sick of eating at home. And, um, you know, I'm, you know, I'm fully vaccinated now as are you two, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. I really don't want to continue to operate in the same way that I did in the last 14 months. I would like to see things uh, get back to some semblance of normal. Um, I think, you know, when we talk about pricing, I think that certainly delivery, uh, the, the charges that we're seeing on the delivery front and for fast food and especially for fast casual there's no real pricing difference any longer between going out to eat at a casual dining restaurant and eating in with delivery. Um, so I think that tends to be a little bit bullish from, from a casual dining standpoint over the long term. That's my, my general view. I, I'm not, you guys, I'm, I'm really just not bullish on delivery at all going forward, in part because of these prices. And also because I think that what we've had over the past year is a captive market where mm-hmm. we have all of these people, you know, everybody's stuck at home and you don't have anything to do. You have money because we've been, you know, the government's been putting a lot of stimulus dollars at, at people for, for a while. So you have money, you are sick of, you know, you, you're, you're sick of cooking all the time and you want something different. So delivery is very easy. What happens once the economy goes back to normal? I just don't think that delivery is going to be nearly as strong as it is now. And I think that's sort of a, a, a bearish indicator. And especially if we, if we look at some of these prices, I mean, Heather, um, I think all of your chains are pay, are, are, are charging, have really instituted some substantial price increases. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, it, as you, I think, have pointed out in previous stories, for what you pay for like a family of four to get food from one of these fast casuals or quick serve places, you could have a full sit down meal at, at a casual Mm -hmm. dining place. Uh, So I I am wondering if, you know, that will take some of the share from some of the delivery occasions of these, these fast casuals, like people just decide to to go to a restaurant that they haven't been able to do for, uh, you know, this past year. Um, I know I just booked a Mother's Day reservation for our first outing. um, And people don't have infinite amounts of dollars. So that money's got to come from somewhere. I did uh, just anecdote of one. I said, once I'm fully vaccinated, I'm going to stop 
getting grocery delivery because that's just such an indulgence and it's expensive. And then I immediately got grocery delivery last week just because it's I can do it while we're on a mm. meeting call and have it delivered to my house. It's so convenient. So maybe some people will be suckered into that uh, that those habits and that convenience, but I bet there'll be a pretty steep drop off. Yeah. yeah, speaking for casual dining, I I don't think there's going to be there will be many tears shed if uh, third party delivery should erode because I think the the big gainer in that sector and the service channel that has everyone excited is curbside because it's more efficient because the customer seems to really love it. You obviously avoid those commissions, um, but at the same time, there is a real rash of renegotiation. Uh, between casual chains and their third-party delivery services or change in those third-party delivery partners. Um, Red Robin just announced that they're going with Waiter, uh, uh, probably one that you wouldn't have thought would be feasible for them just a few weeks ago. Um, so I think we're going to see a lot of renegotiation of contracts, but overall the shift's going to be more to carry out rather than uh, delivery. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I, I, uh, and if you talk to, if you, you talk to, you hit, listen to the people from Domino's and Domino's look, I mean, they're obviously they're, 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 uh, delivery is a big deal to them. Um, you know, but they've long maintained that they didn't understand, they didn't understand how the economics of the whole business works, um, how it can uh, be, you know, how it could work on, on a mass scale. Um, you know, they have concerns about quality. I mean, I think an issue that we're seeing now is a lack of drivers. So you start to, if you talk to operators, um, you start hearing uh, reports about, um, uh, you know, reports about them being unable to get delivery as much as they want. Uh, we have a long delays in delivery time, um, which is hurting quality. Um, you know, you have things of that nature that that keep popping up. But if you if you listen to, you know, if you listen to Domino's, they, they have uh, concerns long-term about the ability for delivery to, to maintain what it's been able to do um, because of the value, because of the quality issues and, and, and things of that nature. And then just sort of the way that business works, uh, period, uh, becomes a problem. Um, I mean, obviously right now things are fairly bullish, but I mean, talk to, you know, I mean, we're, we're probably talking a year from now uh, to me. And I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing some significant drops in delivery once once things really get to a, a more normalized state, we are not, by the way, in any anywhere close to a normalized state yet uh, by any stretch of the imagination. And we still got several months before we can even come close to saying that. But um, I mean, the, the adjustment is very different. So uh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say the, the, the other thing, for particularly for the fast casual chains that I cover is this return to office issue. And there are so many mm -hmm. folks uh, like me who are working out of their you know, bedrooms and, and spare rooms and and uh, maybe are not going to return to their office buildings for quite a long time or maybe even forever. And they're not getting those lunchtime salads and bowls that a lot of these concepts have literally been uh, created uh, for. So that is uh, forcing a rethinking of their entire strategy and they're you know, looking at different locations and different models and, and all sorts of things. I mean, I think that could have more long lasting implications for that that particular segment. Yeah, that's what Shake Shack's been doing. I mean, Shake Shack's had to almost, I mean, it seems to almost completely rethink where it locates. Yeah, um, exactly. And its entire sort of business strategy is, has been sort of turned on its head in many respects uh, by the pandemic. 
Yeah, definitely. And they're opening their first drive through later this year. <clears throat> and, you know, they, I mean, their portfolio is largely based in uh, big urban areas where drive throughs are not even possible. So that uh, they're opening walk-up windows and all sorts of different things that, frankly, they probably should have done years ago. But, um, uh, but yeah, it is forcing them to, to rethink a lot of their models. Yeah. Let's, let's shift quickly to labor. Um, uh, Peter, um, uh, with all of these, all of these sales coming, um, we, we now are also getting a large number of reports on labor problems. Everybody's, we, we, uh, we've been covering this, uh, extensively, um, over the past, uh, several weeks. Um, you've got more coming. You just actually published it. We published a, a big story on ideas for getting people in the door. Um, can you talk about the influence? I mean, how much do you think that the uh, labor problem is influenced by the sales increase that we've seen, or is it just a subject of the labor pool not being there? No, it's it's a significant factor. And the, the time I've <clears throat> covered the industry, you know, the labor crisis has always been kind of a part of the backdrop, but never to the degree or never has it been as much a factor as it seems to be today. Um, the CEO of a regional casual chain told me he had a delay in opening for a month because not only could he not get employees, but the construction people, the development people, the people who were finishing the, the uh, parking lot and painting the lines and all that stuff, they couldn't get labor either. Um, so this whole uh, seeming contraction of the labor force uh, for the restaurant industry and, and some other fields is really significant. Um, cutting hours is routine, you know, hours of operation. Uh, a Washington uh, DC, or he's an independent group, but he told me he's calculated it in terms of what stations he needs to close. And he's offering a thousand dollar referral bonuses because as he says, he could lose 2000 or $3,000 from, from closing a station on a Friday or Saturday night. So the, the issue is that uh, sales are coming back much faster than the employees. And the topic of discussion seems to be, well, how long will this last? Will this extend past the sweetening of unemployment benefits? So might we see some relief in September? Or those folks who abandon the industry to uh, go into other fields that offered a little bit more security and certainly higher wages, will they be forever gone? Um, uh, and it's a tough question. And I don't think anyone has the answer. but. But the labor crisis has never been more pointed than it is now. Uh, and the consensus seems to be there are more sales out there, but it's difficult to uh, grab them because there aren't enough hands to help run the restaurants. Uh, Heather, are you seeing anything uh, from independents at all on this? I mean, are, are, are they, what, what, what are they telling you? Oh yeah, I mean, it's same as the chains. It's a it's a huge challenge uh, from the independent operators too. They're trying to sweeten the pot, you know, with a variety of different benefits, and many of them are now paying well over uh, even the fifteen dollar minimum wage. I think I just saw a post from Dirt Candy, which is a vegetarian concept uh, by Amanda Cohen out in New York, that they are paying like twenty five to twenty seven dollars an hour, and she had a extensive list of, of benefits and promises of advancement. And um, so, you know, even from very entry-level dishwashing jobs on up, they are, um, 
in in a very bad shape. Yeah, yeah. I um, uh, uh, you know, every I mean, you know, it's 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 point. Not not every single fast food operator or executive I talk with say says that they are having problems with labor. Um, Scott Svensson at Mod Pizza told me not that long ago that he they weren't experiencing some of the same problems. But we are seeing, I mean, like uh, Starbucks said that it has some issues in some markets, though not broad-based. Um, every single McDonald's franchisee talks about the, the problems that they have bringing people in. Um, I mean, there's somewhat famously, uh, uh, Blake Casper, an operator in Florida, is offering $50 to people just to interview for, for a job. Uh, he wouldn't take my interview for some <laughs> reason. But... Um, uh, you know, so we're seeing a problem on the labor front that that is unlike anything that we've seen uh, before. Um, and you kind of uh, wonder at some point when this will when when this will ease um, uh, at all. I mean, I mean, Peter, do you think that it I mean, do we think that we're going to have to wait until the stimulus runs out and people need a job? Well, certainly that'll help, but this seems to be a fundamental shift. You know, the, the notion that restaurants were the, uh, the industry of first jobs, you know, that's kind of waning a bit. Uh, it, it seems like there are so many other options out there um, that uh, are siphoning people away from the restaurant industry that uh, we might have a tough time catching up. You know, the thing that I hear a lot, uh, people feel that they're really losing uh, workers, part-time workers to um, Amazon facilities because those facilities apparently offer a great deal of flexibility uh, and you don't need a car the way you do uh, if you're an Uber driver, um, though Uber and their like are also pulling people away. So no, I think this is a fundamental shift and I think the upshot is going to be that we see some really interesting experiments with incorporating efficiencies into buildings uh, certainly with automation, certainly in terms of favoring some sales channels, you know, probably the best, the most uh, profitable sales channel is the drive-through. So I don't think it's a coincidence that we're seeing uh, uh, full service folks experimenting with, uh, with that model. Um, but no, I think that this is going to be with us forever, perhaps not as severe or likely not as severe as we're seeing it right now, but not too much better. Yeah. Um, it's not the, so the labor issue isn't just an issue from the worker availability, um, um, uh, 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 standpoint. It is also a, uh, problem with, um, the supply chain, Heather, um, you, uh, uh I understand that the supply chain, um, uh, has been influenced by the lack of labor too, right? Uh, yes. I just heard on the Wingstop, uh, call that part of the reason for the shortage of chicken wings, but really all parts of the chicken is because of labor issues at the poultry processing level. Um, and uh, Charlie uh, Morrison from Wingstop said that that had been a really huge issue for them. Um, and that uh, had they not secured deals with uh, with their wing suppliers that they were seeing just uh, the prices 50% higher right now uh, than is typical or from a year ago um, for their wings. But I've also just been seeing um, random shortages of other products too, like fryer oil, 
um, other things. So there, there's a fair amount of supply chain disruption uh, right now, either for employment reasons or, or uh, other reasons that are, that are causing issues for operators. Yeah, yeah. So, so part of it, is, I think, is the skyrocketing demand uh, has mm-hmm. created issues with like ketchup packets and and mm-hmm. things of that nature. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the the and then the labor issue is causing some, as you mentioned, the issue with, um, you know, the, the issue with the chicken wings. I mean, like Heather, like everybody has been saying, everybody I've talked to, you know, because like uh, KFC and, and uh, um, you know, some other other chains have have expressed issues of getting chicken um so not just chicken wings chicken um and they mention you know you hear complaints about you know the lack of uh you know the lack of drivers is influencing distribution so you can't get supplies in uh certain times so yeah i mean um uh essentially we what we've seen i mean i think the, the conclusion there is probably that we've seen this massive sales spike over the last several weeks um, and it is causing all sorts of headaches, both on the labor side and on the supply side. Um, and and it, it probably the, the economy has to work its way through this stuff to kind of normalize. Um, and uh, uh, then, you know, then things start working out a little bit. It's just some, I think, some unexpected headaches at this particular point. Yeah, uh, on the non-food side, the thing that operators tell me, uh, particularly in the ca- in casual dining, um, it's really, really hard to get furniture, and it's really hard for construction or development people to get lumber. So that's a bit of a break, uh, break B-R-A-K-E, on uh, development of new units. Yeah, super. Um, okay, well, thank you guys for uh, for uh, joining uh, me this week and uh, talking about this. Um, so thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you. And that should do it for this week's episode of A Deeper Dive. But do not forget that you can now get the podcast on your Alexa device. Just go to your Alexa app, look for Restaurant Business A Deeper Dive and enable the function. And then you'll just need to say, Alexa, please play A Deeper Dive. Deeper Dive was edited by Kimberly Kazmarek, artwork by Nico Hines and Sarah Stewart. You may find this and other episodes of the podcast on our website at www.restaurantbusinessonline.com backslash article backslash deeper dash dive. You may also find them on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or anywhere else you get your podcasts. I'm Jonathan Mays, host, podcast producer, and the editor-in-chief of Restaurant Business. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.